to be here together as I elbow Kathy off the platform. Sorry about that. It's nice to see everybody together, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's just, we have two services, and, and it's great, and we do that for, for a reason, for a purpose, and on occasion, we're able just to say, hey, you know what, let's just pull out the stops and bring everybody together. And, and, we, and the reason why we do two services is because, honestly, we, we want to be able to make sure that our teachers who minister to our kids are able to come and get a service and don't ever have to miss. And we want to make sure that our, our teachers don't have to rotate out and basically, in a sense, lose ownership and the kids feel like, oh, I get you know, a rotation of teachers all the time. And it's just good to be together. It's good to sing together. Glad Tidings, this is what you look like. Just in case you didn't know, this is what you look like. And I'm grateful to God. Um, just for this, for the joy in this place, uh, just for the way that the Holy Spirit's always uh, moved in this place and the way he's moved in this place this morning. Um, you know, we could leave now and know that God's spoken to us. And that's the most important thing. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here not to hear from me or to hear from a worship team, but to hear from the King of Kings who cares enough to speak into the midst of our lives. Let's just go still for a second. Can we just do that? Just bow your heads. Let's just go still. Before God. Lord Jesus, you are awesome. You're not awesome because we declare it, you're awesome because it's who you are. God, we thank you, Father, that it's your desire to commune with us, to talk with us, to be with us, Lord Jesus. And it's our desire this morning, and, and hopefully it's our desire every day of our lives, Lord God, to come into your presence and to hear your words for us, to be led by you, to walk according to your ways, your paths, Lord God, not because we have to, but because we want to. Holy Spirit, we surrender this service to you. We pray that you would speak to us again this morning. That it would be your words that would come forth and that you would open up each of our hearts this morning. Not just to come to church, but to hear from you. Specifically and individually, Lord God, for where we are at this time. Would you have your way this morning? Would your name be glorified? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I uh, mentioned something that Philip Yancey wrote, and, and I told you we were going to pick up again with it this weekend. We are, but um, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he writes this. He says, if Jesus came to reveal God to us, then what do I learn about God from the first Christmas? I want to read that again. If Jesus came to reveal God to us, then what do I learn about who God is from that first Christmas? I mean, we know that Jesus came and why he came, and he came to die for us, but there's also a message in how he came. And last week we looked at the life of Mary and who she was and what this meant you know, for her. We looked at how Christmas cards portray this, this beautiful scene, but in reality what was happening to Mary was not so beautiful according to the outside viewpoints. People were looking at her and going, here's this ungodly woman and all of this. And so we talked about that last week. And, and, and this week I want to use that same question to talk about more about how he came. Because we learn so much about not just who he is, 
but how he moves, what his character is like, what his love is like by the way that he came to this earth. So this morning, there's a message to each one of us, not just in why he came, but there's a message to each of us where we are this morning in our current circumstances in how he came. So just for the sake of of comparison, for contrasting, I want to tell you how Queen Elizabeth II came in 2007, because in 2007 she came to visit the U.S., and I'm not picking on Queen Elizabeth. I'm just saying this is fact, this is how she came, all right? So don't send me horrible emails saying I like the Queen. I like the Queen too, but this is just the fact, all right? When the Queen came to the U.S. for a six-day visit, the planning for this trip took eight to nine months. All right? Every step of the Queen's uh, route had to be gone over. All corridors, for example, had to be wide enough for her to pass people without touching them. These are things that they had to look into. Her preferences in food, reported not to include fish, must be conveyed to her hosts. A plane had to be chartered, and the interior configured to make it fit for a queen. And then all the packing that had to be done. She must bring, of course, uh, gowns and crowns and other queenly uh, accoutrements. Two outfits for every occasion. Black garments are always included in case events suddenly call for mourning. She will need at least one diamond tiara and, of course, the uh, required assortment of hats that she likes to wear. The queen also has to bring gifts Cufflinks, pens, and the like to hand out to people. She's been reported to travel with as many and carry as many as, uh, as 50 pairs of white gloves. They get soiled when she shakes hands, and soiled gloves would never do. The queen has been reported to always travel with an assortment of personal items as well. And these items include photos of family members, a certain type of water, special jams, her favorite tea, along with her favorite teapot. The luggage on the Queen's trip is reported to be about two to three tons. All right? This is not just the Queen, though. It's her Queen and all of her people with her. Not just the Queen, all right? (laughs) Just had to make that clear. She arrived in a chartered Boeing 777, the inside of which had been altered to meet her needs. She came with a staff of about 35 including her own hairdresser and two valets um, that accompanied her and her husband. And uh, like I said, the three tons of luggage were not just her. But a, t- a brief visit like this to the U.S. is estimated to cost about $20 million. You can tell a lot about a person and how they come. If I had gone over that description to you and said, look, I'm not going to tell you who this is. I'm simply going to say, let me describe to you the way this person came. You're going to begin to develop a picture and an image in your mind. You're going to be some, there's going to be some words associated with the description that I gave on who, who this person is and how approachable they are. When you hear this description, and you don't have to answer me this, but answer to yourself. What words come to your mind? Approachable. This is someone I'm going to have lunch with. This is someone I'm going to get to go up and, and rub shoulders with. Probably not. No. You begin to think, hey, this person is kind of here. 
And I'm not saying this describes her personality. I'm just saying, but this is who, there's no way. Even as David got up here this morning and said, man, when a king or queen or somebody comes, a princess comes to town. Remember when Princess Diana came years and years ago? Man, the hysteria and everything. Oh, she's coming, she's coming. And so you can tell a lot about a person by the way that they come. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. It was prophesied this, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 2,000 years ago, the God who spoke and formed this earth. The God who parted the seas, the God who brought the plagues on Egypt, the God who brought down the walls of Jericho, the God who can order armies and empires around like pawns of a chessboard. This God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter for food, and for love. Open your Bibles, or turn with me, as they're already open, to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You know, it's interesting how the king of kings made his appearance on, the, on this earth. You know, he didn't come in a raging whirlwind. He didn't come in a devouring fire. He did not come as one would envision a king coming. He did not come as the queen of England came. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down so small as to become a single fertilized egg, barely visible to the naked eye inside of a nervous teenager. He made himself nothing. The king of kings, the creator of this world, made himself nothing when he came to visit us. And he entered the world amid strife and terror, He was born during the brutal reign of King Herod the Great. 
But last week we even mentioned this, scarcely a day passed without an execution under Herod's regime. The political climate back then, the time of Jesus' birth, resembled Russia in the 1930s under Stalin. Citizens were not allowed to gather in public meetings, spies were everywhere, and Jesus would spend his infancy hidden in Egypt as a refugee. And that is how the King of Kings came to visit us. What do you think about that? If there was any kind of strife here in the U.S. in 2007, do you think the queen would have come? Even if she wanted to come, she wouldn't have been allowed to come. Every precaution, every safety measure, everything has to be lined up when royalty comes. Every I dotted, every T crossed. And yet into the midst of this darkness... In the midst of this troubled time, that is where Jesus says, this is where they need me the most. This is the time when I'm going to come. Isn't it true of our own lives? That it's in our most desperate times? I think it's safe to say that the majority of us, so many of us, come to know Christ. He's birthed in our lives, not in the highest points of our lives, but in the darkest points of our lives. It's when you hit this brick wall, when you hit this calamity, when you hit this strife, when you hit this terror, in this darkness, in your emptiness, a light comes. A light into the darkness. The darkness doesn't keep him from us. It actually ushers in his presence, and he comes into our lives in the most crucial, heartbreaking circumstances. And that's where he comes in. It doesn't hold him back, and it doesn't keep him away. He's not a friend who's there during the good times and during the bad times. It takes off. He's a friend that comes into the dark times, and he brings life. And so into this dark time, into this horrific situation, into this terror, into this brutal reign of King Herod the Great, that's when Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God who spoke and created, that's when he said, no, I'm going to come. And I'm not coming with an army, and I'm not coming in a whirlwind, and I'm not coming in all this. I'm coming in nothing, and I'm coming in weakness, and I'm coming vulnerable, and I'm coming to a teenager, and I'm going to come. And I'm even going to live as a refugee because I'm going to go through this with my people. You know, whenever I find myself in a dark time, it's not the person who's never been through any trial that was able to bring comfort to me. It's the person who's been able to say, you know what, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about where I was. Let me tell you about where, where, where I was when God found me. Let me tell you about who he is because of who I've seen him in my life. And now let me tell you that, that because I know him this way, I want you to know that he wants you to know him this way. And he's the God who comes into the darkness to bring light, to come into the brokenness, to bring restoration, to bring, come into the sickness, to bring healing. This is who Jesus is. And so when we ask this question, what is it about God? What does, what does, what does it say about God? How do we understand God more in the way that he came? Not just the why he came, but how he came. We can see that a God who steps into the darkness and steps into the herd that's a God who steps into our lives. And the only thing that I'm saying here right now can be validated when you look at your own life and go, yeah, this is true. Not just of him 2,000 years ago. This is true of him yesterday. This is true of him 10 years ago when, when I went through my time of grief, when I found him. It was into my darkness that he, that he birthed himself into my life. 
And so the king of kings comes to visit us, and he shows up in this amazing way. He could have been born anywhere, but he chose not to. He chose to come in the most humbling of circumstances. God's visit to earth took place and began in an animal shelter with no attendants present, nowhere to lay a baby king except for a food trough. Indeed, the event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal than human witnesses. Now, was anybody here born in a food trough? No. He's got you beat. He started off in rougher circumstances than you did. And he wants you to know that. Because he wants you to know that if anybody can understand where you are, he can. Let's continue reading. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men whom his favor rests. In this humble birth, just for an instance, the sky grew luminous with angels. You know, when the queen comes, there are crowds and crowds of people. When royalty comes, there are people lining the streets. You would think that she was our queen. It's just amazing how emotional everybody gets. Tears of joy. It's, it's actually, for me, it's hard to really understand. And I have an English background, but it's hard for me to understand all this emotion that goes into it. But hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people gather to see. And there's these, these, these I guess, all of the, the dog and pony show, for lack of better words when somebody comes but when jesus came just for an instance the angels lit up the sky to celebrate his birth and where do they come who got to see the spectacle who did they appear to first illiterate hirelings and slaves who watched the flocks of others nobodies shepherds has such a randy reputation that proper Jews actually lumped them together with the godless. And they were restricted to the outer courtyards of the temple. Fittingly, it was them whom God selected to help celebrate the birth of the one who would be known as the friend of sinners. It wasn't to the kings, it wasn't to the dignitaries, it wasn't to the religious. It wasn't to those who were welcome into the temple. It was to those who were pushed aside, those who were rejected. And in this message of who our God is, he paints a picture. And the angel say to you, said to them, I bring you a message of, great joy, of good news that will cause great joy for all people. For all people. I love what Life Application Commentary actually says about this. It says that the shepherds were not told to look in a palace or in a wealthy home. Indeed, they would not have gotten past the gates if they had. But they could go to a poor stable. They could receive acceptance from a poor couple. 
and discover the miracle baby. Good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This is the message to the rejected. This is the message to those who were abandoned. This is the message to the people that even the religious wanted to keep away from them. The angels appear to them and he says, listen, this, what is happening here, you are the first people that we're going to appear to and say, this message, this king, this God, the God who spoke, the God who formed everything, the king of kings, this is for you. And it's for all people. Can you imagine after being rejected by so many people, these These shepherds sitting there would be like, wow, I can't believe this is going on. What on earth is going on? And had Jesus been born in some wealthy establishment or some rich person's home, had he actually been born what was due him, had he come like the queen comes or other people comes, the shepherds wouldn't have even got through the front doors. They wouldn't have been able to go to him. They wouldn't have been able to approach him. But no, Jesus comes on common ground. Jesus comes, he's born in a place where the peasants and and, and the illiterate and the rejected can find him and find acceptance and not be prevented. There wasn't even an innkeeper to keep them away. You know, we look at it and go, oh, they didn't even have room for them. You think maybe that was God's doing? Absolutely. Because what happens if they came to the innkeeper to find Christ? Maybe they would have been escorted away, and that was not what God had. This message was for all people. And wise men, nobles could find him there, and the poorest, rejected people could find him there, and together they would come and find the king of kings because this was for all people. The first people to get the invitation to his birth were the rejected and pushed aside. So if Jesus came to reveal God to us, then what do I learn about God from the first Christmas? When I think and compare the way that the queen visited, not picking on the queen, I do, I think of wealth. I think of separation. I think of untouchable. I think of unapproachable. I think of it only being for dignitaries and people of position. And I think of it's something that I could admire and appreciate from a distance because I'd never even get close. I even think about how the queen, it's just not proper for people to go up and touch her or go up and give her a hug. And even how she walks down hallways, people aren't supposed to come in contact with her. And then I think of the way Jesus came and what it tells us about who he is. He came in complete contrast. He came as nothing, yet he was and is still everything. He came not to some, but he came to all. Throughout his life, we would see this theme repeated again and again and again. He would step into the hurt. He would step into the heartbreak. He would step into the pain. He would step into the loneliness. He would come to a place not fit for a king. It would be in the darkest places of our lives that Christ would come. And with him came love. And with him comes forgiveness, and with him comes reconciliation, and with him comes hope and healing. With him came and comes life. And no barrier, no title, no place would limit the most desperate of all of us from finding him, from coming into his presence, from becoming whole in who he is, 
persecution and death and the grave would not defeat, hinder, or stop his love for us and his desire to be with us. He knew what he was going to go through. He knew what he was going to encounter. And yet he chose to encounter and all of that. He knew the darkness that he would step into. He knew the pain and the agony. And yet that does not prevent. That would prevent a king and a queen on earthly standards from coming into a place. But it will not prevent the king of kings from coming into your life where you are. And it did not prevent him from coming to us and finding us 2,000 years ago. It didn't prevent him from coming and touching those who were untouchable like the lepers. For eating and dining with the sinners, with the tax collectors. All that persecution and facing a cross and facing the grave would not defeat, hinder, or prevent his love and his desire from being with us. And in him, and how he came, is a picture of who God is. Not just now. Not just then, but forevermore. The birth of Christ into our most difficult circumstances, our most difficult trials and pains, his coming to our most rejected, dejected people on earth is a picture of who he is. He is God with us. Always and forever. A God that will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. So if Jesus came to reveal God to us, then what do I learn about God from the first Christmas? If he is a picture of who God is, what is it that you can take home right now, today, in the midst of your circumstances? I think of Sam and Aline and what they're going through. I think of so many other trials and darkness and areas of your lives that we don't understand. I think of financial hardships and I think of, of sicknesses and I think of, I can't even begin to list and name all of the different hardships that can be represented and are represented in this place now. And the loneliness and the hurt and the pain and the misunderstanding and all of that. So for, for all of us who are going through these things, what is God saying to you? What does God want you to take home with you? He doesn't want you to take a Christmas tree home. He doesn't want you to take a baby in a manger home. What he wants you to take home with you is that he is with you in your darkest circumstances. And in the midst of your pain and the midst of your hurt, there is a light in that darkness. And that light, if you will turn your eyes to it, is him. And that light will grow, and that light will provide a light into your path. And you'll be able to see where you're going, and he'll begin to walk with you and keep you and help you. And it's a picture of who he is. And so this Christmas, if you're going to understand anything about what this is about, it's about God stepping into our darkness and bringing light and bringing hope and bringing future. Matthew 1 Verse 23 says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is a picture of who God is, and that picture is God with us. Jimmy, would you play that?
Shouldn't last time. you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly, and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. celebrate this Christmas is the fact that 2,000 years ago, God saw us in the depth of our need, in the depths of our circumstances, in our hurt, and in our pain. And God chose not to let anything keep him from us, and that he came to give us life, and to give us hope, and to bring us restoration. And so this morning, when you go out from here, this Christmas, my prayer is that what you would take with you 
is this message that God is with you in the midst of your trials, in the midst of everything that you're going through, that you can celebrate Christmas with joy and peace and hope and understanding because God is with us. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to open up these, these altars if you want to receive prayer for anything. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and we just thank you, Lord God, for your amazing love that is revealed to us in the fact that you came. Lord, we recognize and, and, and we thank God Lord, that he sent you, Lord Jesus, to come and die for our sins, to bring us life. And Lord God, we've been, been thanking you that for, 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 thank you for a long time, Lord God. But what we want to thank you for this morning, especially, is how you came and the message that you have given each of us and how you came. And Lord God, that you didn't restrict your presence to those of power and those of authority. But Lord God, you made yourself available to each one of us no matter how far apart we seem or feel from other people, no matter how lonely, no matter how rejected, Lord God, your message to us this Christmas is that you came for each of us. And that your love is so strong and your power is so great that you can step into the darkness of our lives. And God, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our hurt, Lord God, when we feel that we're at the end of ourselves, Lord God, you can come in and you can begin to patch and to put back together the things that are broken, the things that the enemy has, has taken from us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated Satan on that cross in your death and more importantly in your resurrection that you have brought us life and hope and a future. And God, I pray that this morning, that during this season right now, that God, our focus would be on who you are and for the most lonely person in this room, the one who feels the most abandoned, I pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around them so tightly, that they would sense your presence in a way that they have never sensed you before. That, God, as we lay down our circumstances before you, Lord God, and we say, God, you know the hurt, you know the pain, God, you know all of these things, but I recognize that into pain and into darkness you came. Lord, would you come into my pain and into my darkness? And, God, where there is death and where there is destruction, where there is pain, God, would you turn that around for your power and for your glory? This morning, I just want to pray this prayer. And if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never accepted him, or even as the messages came forth this morning, said, you're on the fence, you've been on the fence, as if this world can give you more than what he can give you. I want to tell you there's no possible way that the world can outgive what God can. Because the world can give emotional highs and the world can give physical things, but God is the only one who can restore soul. God is the only one who can bring reconciliation between man and God. And if we're really going to move in Christmas, man, don't leave this place without embracing who He is. 
And the message of God to all of us is, it doesn't matter how dark your circumstances are. It doesn't matter how bad your past is. He came for you. And that is the message in what we see this morning. He came for you, the most rejected, pushed aside people. He came to them and he appeared to them first and said, I am coming for all people, but this king is for you. If you're here this morning and maybe you find yourself broken and maybe you feel that you're too far away from God, or maybe your pain is too great, I want you to know that Christmas is about him coming into your darkness and bringing life. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want this for yourself, would you just agree with me? You can repeat the words after me, or you can just say, God, I want what he is saying. I want that for me. I want you to know there's nothing magical about the words that we pray. If you say these words, you don't mean it with your heart. It doesn't mean anything. But if you will just pour yourself out and bring that darkness before him and lay it before him and say, God, would you do something with this? Would you come into my life? And would you take control that my life would be lived out for you? If that's what you want, would you pray this with me? Would you agree with me? Lord Jesus, I just recognize that 2,000 years ago, you came into this darkness and into a broken world, and you came, Lord God, to bring healing and to bring restoration, and you came to defeat the the enemy and the powers that were trying to destroy us, Lord God. And God, I recognize that if you did that 2,000 years ago, Lord God, it's what you still do today. And God, you can see my life, and you can see the destruction, and you can see the chaos, and you can see the hurt and you can see the abandonment and you can see the loneliness and you can see all of these areas that crush me inside and only you God know where I am but God what I need more than anything is desperately to have some light into this darkness and I know that you are that light I recognize Lord Jesus that you are the son of God and that you came and you lived a sinless life and then you, you took all of my sin and sickness and shame and you, you took it upon yourself and you went to a cross so that I didn't have to go. I recognize that death, Lord God, is what I deserve for my sin. But Lord, you, you took it upon your shoulders and you died for me that I might live. And you defeated my sin and my shame. And you rose again and you ascended to the right hand of the Father and you intercede for me. And so, Lord God, I'm asking you now, Lord God, would you cover me and my sins, Lord God, through your shed blood on that cross? Would you forgive me and would you wash me and would you cleanse me? And God, would you step into my brokenness and would you step into my darkness? And God, would you make me whole? Because what I need in this world is not more things. I need more of you. I need you in my life, you with me, Lord God. That name, Emmanuel, God with us. Let it be my, my banner that God is with me. So would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? And Lord God, would you take control of my life? and Let me live it for you, that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us as Pastor Ray closes us out? We love you guys. God bless. We pray that you have a very, very Merry Christmas. 
please take time to, to, to read the scriptures with your, with your families on Tuesday. And don't forget, tomorrow night is our special uh, Christmas Eve service from 7 to 8 p.m. We love you guys. Would you sing with us? God bless.